Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio. And you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Bud is a nonprofit organization of compassionate, comprehensive, qualified professionals who work to educate parents to improve the lives of children with learning disabilities. When a child is first identified as a student in need of services, many parents have no knowledge of the process until they receive a parent handbook during an individualized education plan meeting. The parent handbook is often written in a language unfamiliar to most parents. Parents are often overwhelmed by this meeting because it's not like a familiar parent-teacher conference. The meeting includes many educational professionals, administrators, teachers, therapists, counselors, psychologists, and etc. Bud was established in 2012 to advocate for and empower parents to seek the necessary services for their children upon initial identification of a learning disability. Annette says, Bud is uniquely qualified to assist and inform parents because for over 20 years, 
I have been involved with a special education maze, both as a parent and a teacher. Annette Ireland, founder of Better Understanding Disabilities, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Thank you very much, Michael, for having me on your show. And thank you, Annette, for taking time out today to, you know, educate us and inform us and, you know, open our eyes about really what it is like to, um, you know, go against the challenges that face most parents when you have a child with a disability. And, and just tell us a little bit about um, how you got involved in this and, you know, how, how this all started for you. Well, first of all, I have a son, and when my son was 18 months old, he was diagnosed with a language delay at 18 months. And, of course, at four years old, we had him evaluated uh, by a psychologist, educational psychologist, because with language delay comes um, other issues, and, of course, in the evaluation, we at four years old, we did find out that my son had he need, he needed speech therapy, and of course, and even within that particular test at four years old, the psychologist had said that they could actually see uh, his learning disability even at four years old. But at four years old, he had learned even at four how to compensate for some of his disabilities. And, of course, as he got older, um, we saw him really struggling in school, especially like in first grade, second grade, saw him really struggle. Um, And, of course, we had him in a private school, and we were told after the school had worked with him for two years, we were told that we need to take him out of this particular private school because there was nothing else you know, the school could do for him, so we took him out. And from there, we put him in public school um, for a minute to see if someone would actually say, hey, yes, this kid does have uh, a learning disability. Um, So we had him in public school for a while, and then, of course, he was still struggling. We put him back into private school, and so he was in this particular private So we. He was in this particular private school for maybe three years, and, of course, uh, this particular school said that they had done the best that they could do for him. Um, There was nothing else they could do because they'd never seen a kid like that before. And, of Hmm. course... um, Help us to understand a little bit better, because you say that he he found a way to compensate. How did he compensate? He found a way to figure out in his... You know, this is what the brain will do. The brain will figure out a way how to uh, help the educational process if there's a deficiency. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. And kids with learning disabilities, they can come, the brain, the brain comes up with ways as to how to, uh, helped him. It, it's kind of like um, break it down for us. Give us an example. What did you see in your son that that showed you that he was somehow compensating? Um, but one of the most interesting things was reading. Mm-hmm. The brain. Um, he was not 
a very good reader. And this was at like seven years old. He was not a good reader. But somehow the brain figured out how to read pictures Mm -hmm. very well. And so, and of course, he was into cars. And for someone who could not read, but he could tell you the name of the car, the make of the car, and the year of the car. And these were cars that were like in the like 1950s, 1960s, 1970s. And I mean, he wasn't even born, but somehow the brain figured out a way as to help him, I guess, memorize the pictures of the car and figure it out. It's it's very interesting with children with learning disabilities. Mm. Um, they are so bright in certain areas. So so basically, I'll just say this. Kids with learning disabilities, their creativity, their intelligence mainly is on the right side of the brain, whereas with reading, writing, and math is on the left side of the brain. And, of course, the reading and writing and math, that's on the left side of the brain with the kid with the learning disabilities. It's Everything is like in one spot of the brain, and it's just all jumbled up. It's it's totally disorganized. Where the kid with without a learning disability, it's like there are three departments, and all of this information that kids with normal um, learning, their brain kind of filters and sort and put things where they need to be, you know, for the reading, for the writing, for the math. And whereas with a child with a learning disability, it doesn't. It's like everything, you know, it's like a um, pile of dirty clothes. All the clothes get thrown in one pile regardless of what color they are. And that's what happens with uh, kids with learning disabilities. Mm. Um, But the the thing about kids with learning disabilities, and I always like to tell their parents because I think it's very important that parents understand that their children have average to above average intelligence. And mm. if yeah and, and and if the government had not felt that these kids could learn, they would not have put the the laws in place to protect these kids. So therefore they're able to learn but they learn differently. And mm-hmm. I can I can really contest to that because when my son graduated from high school, um, it was it was I think it was probably one of the worst things that he thought that could have ever happened to him. You know, when he was in high school, he was being told that he would be able to go to college, and me being an educator and knowing that he probably would not, I had to allow him to go to try and register for NOVA. And we must have went to NOVA about five or six times, him trying to take the test, passing the test. It didn't work. So I'll never forget the last day we were at NOVA. um, I was talking to one of the secretaries there, and she said, why don't you put him in a home? For people like him. And I said, what do you mean, people like him? I said, he has a home. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as a mom, you're hearing this, and you're like, you know, what is she trying to say about my kid? And so, of course, we walk, you know, we walk out. 
We both get in the car, drive home. He's very upset because that was the, I told him that was the last time we we're going to do this. That was the last time I was going to allow him, put him to put himself through all of this, you know, testing and failing and testing and failing. So, of course, when we got home, he went upstairs and he cried. And, of course, I went downstairs and I started looking for schools that would I know that would educate him. Okay, and, you know, it's when your kid graduates from a high school and your kids function on a fifth grade seven months, that's a problem. And so, and and I can say this, you know, a lot of times people say, well, where where were the parents? Well, the parents were there the whole time, the entire six years. I was at this public school district trying, it it was just crazy, begging people, begging begging his school district to educate him. Mm-hmm. And the, the I, I never, as an educator, and of course I was in another, I'm in another school district, and I would go to his school when I, when I would have meetings, and my school district would be doing one thing. And then I would go to my son's school district and say, hey, look, this is what, I talked to some special ed teachers at my school, this is what they're doing for kids with visual in auditory processing. And, of course, my son's school, school would act as if they had not a clue what I was talking about. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, back to, back to um, you know, leaving Nova and not being accepted, I'm looking for a school that would just, you know, take him and to help him with his, his needs. And lo and behold, it took me about three weeks, I found a school. And the school is called the Kildonan School. It's in Armenia, New York. The most interesting thing, they they said, okay, you know, Ms. Harden, this is what you need to do. You need to fill out an application. You know, you need to go through the whole registering process. And, of course, we did. And maybe about three or four weeks later, they asked us to come up to the school. We went to the school. And, of course, my son had to get an interview, and that's why we went. And it was the most amazing thing. I, I, you know, out of all these years of just seeing my kids struggle and fail and struggle and fail and struggle and fail, the Kildonan School said to me right after the interview, they said, you know, Ms. Arnold says a lot of times, you know, schools are always saying, you know, what can they do for the kid? But said this was different. We're wondering what can the kid do for the school, because Bud had taken something to the school that was not there, and that was Christianity. And mm. that was because his first question he asked them: If I come to the school, are you? Can you guys take me to church? Mm. And they said, and they and they said yes. And so, um, you know, after the interview, we came back home, and of course, you know, you got to figure out, okay. Where are we going to get the money? Because it's expensive to educate a kid with a learning difference. But, you know, my philosophy is I feel public school can do it a lot cheaper but um, than parents can. So, of course, we, brought, we got home from New York. Two weeks later, we were on our way back to New York for school. And in October, so all this, 
took place in 07, right after graduation. So in October 2007, the the Kildonan School tested my son, and his reading comprehension was at fifth grade, seven months. And you know, and of course, people would say, "Oh my God, he's he's 18, and he's only comprehending on a fifth grade, seven months." And definitely so. So they worked with him from October 2007 to May 2008. And, of course, when we got his scores, he had went from fifth grade seven months to tenth grade three months. So in really? eight months. Wow. Yes. And so that's how I came to a conclusion that with a proper program, children with learning disabilities can learn. And one of the most fascinating things about uh, the Kildonan School, kids with learning disabilities have been shown, um, they go through a lot of um, mental abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, you know, because you got kids calling them dummy. Um, you know, just that, just that, that mental abuse because you know we don't look like, you know, the kid doesn't think the way they do. But what Kildonan does, Kildonan does a good job of just taking all of that defeat, all of the fear from them. And so at the Kildonan school, in the winter, starting in January. Every Thursday until the end of February, they snow ski or snowboard from 8 in the morning till 5 in the afternoon. And this was every Thursday. So they, wow. so they did this for about eight weeks. Yeah, it, it's, a very, it's, it's fascinating. So they did this for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at the end of... Of like the last weekend in February, the whole school, and this would be the high school, would go to Killington, Vermont, and they would snow ski. And of course, you know, my son, along with other, you know, other people's children, got up on the highest lift at Killington and jumped off. And of course, my son decided he would snowboard. Um. It's just a very good program, and of course, when he got home from Kildonan, he was a totally different person. He mm. was talking. It, 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 it was like it was a new person. Wow! And then, of course, yeah. And, and, and tell course, us, Annette, went, what are some of those things that you think that um, is different about the structure of this school that that helps children besides the fact that they are. Um, they're looked at a different way. They're taught a different way. But but give us some of the mechanics. One of the, some of the things that you think are so effective about their their um, teaching style. First, they use a program called Orton Gillingham, and Orton Gillingham is designed to address children with dyslexia. That's the first thing, and that's that's a language that's a language based program, which is multisensory. And then another thing they do that's very important, they do one-to-one tutoring. So every day 
I think I think my son's appointment was like at seven. At seven o'clock, from seven to eight, there was one-to-one tutoring, mm. and 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 that's that's what that's th- those are some of the things that they do. You know, and one of, of the course, things we you know, talked about show- earlier. Annette, is, mm-hmm. and, and I want to go ahead and get this out there now to help people to understand some of the things that are so key and some of the differences and how we're almost talking a different language when we talk about educating someone with a learning difference, as you said. Um, you, when I were having a discussion, and you were talking about the difference between sight and vision. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead and explain that the way you explained it to me. Okay. Well, first of all, a lot of kids who being diagnosed as having learning disabilities, ADD, ADHD, they're basically about 80%, this is what the research says, they are having difficulty with vision, not with sight. Sight is seen. Vision talks about the mechanics of the eyes, you know, if the eyes are working as a team. And the only person who can actually check that is a developmental optometrist, not a regular optometrist. And, you know, I I was telling you that when when, when I found out that my son had this issue, which the thing is it wasn't until 17, and that's why that's like one of the first things I talk to parents about is about their kids' vision because if their vision if their eyes are not working as a team, then the the messages that transmit between the eyes and the brain will not be clear. And 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 it's like, you know, when you see kids with vision issues, a lot of people. And and, and I remember going through this with my with my kid. People would, you know, in school would say, "Oh, he's he's off task. He's off task." And I would tell them. But he doesn't have um, he doesn't have ADD or ADHD. I've already talked to a neurologist about this, and they were like, "Well, there's something," and I I could not figure out what that something was, though what was going on, and of course, the seventeen come come to find out it was vision, and so the brain and the vision work together. And if the eyes are not working as a team, like one eye might want to focus maybe on something to the right. The other eye might want to focus on something to the left. And so then it's like the kids look like, you know, they're not paying attention or they're ADD and ADHD and people mm-hmm. not knowing that it has right. nothing to do with that. You know, it's right, right. their eyes are not working as a team. And that is very crucial. Now, Four one of the kids. things you explained to me is, let, let, I'll just give an example um, to just okay. make it very clear where we're going on this. Uh, a person okay. could have twenty-twenty vision, but and that's sight, yeah. but be dyslexic, yeah. which is vision. So if they see words flipped around or letters changed around, that has to do with vision. And that's more the mechanics of understanding and processing what the eyes see to the brain to be able to communicate um, effectively what's there. 
And uh, if they see something different, their behavior is different. They they mm-hmm. process it different. So. Mm-hmm. But dyslexia, when we, when, you know, um, in in bud, and that's better understanding disability. When we talk about dyslexia, we talk about kids who are having difficulties with reading. And years ago, people used to think that oh, when you say a kid has dyslexia, then the kid is seeing the letters backwards. But mm-hmm. it's it's not just that. Is the child is struggling in reading, period. It can be comprehension. Mm-hmm. Okay? It could be, um, you know, comprehending what they read. It could be skipping letters. Mm. Sometimes, you know? And with kids with um, with vision issues, those letters could be jumping off the page. Right. And the thing is, <laughs> if their vision is bad, then, of course, the kid can't say, hey, these letters are jumping off the page because basically what the kids are thinking is that's normal sight. But Mm. it's not just Mm. kids. Adults have it, too, because if you had that issue as a child, you still have that issue as an adult. And so so, um, dyslexia is reading, basically, and you have what you call dyscalculia that's having problems with math, you have dysgraphia, which is writing, and um, you have what you call dyspraxia, and that's when you have problems with fine motor skills. And then, of course, when you have language problems, which is dyspraxia, you know, kids um, having difficulties understanding the language that is being spoken. Mm. So, uh, and then, of course, there's auditory processing, there's visual processing disorder. So, the visual the visual processing disorder that the signal that there's a possibility that the kid is having visual issues and i re- i remember when we found out about um my son with um with this vision issue i was always in, i was always curious as to why is it that kids with learning disabilities? Why these kids? Why is it that they struggle so bad? And and you know, being an educator, I I see this, and you know, there's so much frustration, and there's so many tears, and you know, I would always tell parents that if you are frustrated helping him or her with their homework, imagine the kid who wants to do better who wants to be a better reader, a better writer, wants to do math, wants to experience success, then imagine the kid. And I always tell parents, take it off of you. Learn about all these different learning disabilities. And, you know, come to the workshop so you can find out how you can help your kid. But vision, and we can come back to that, vision is a serious issue. And again, it's not sight. It's the mechanics of the eyes. How well do they work together? So, you know, they can see double. I mean, even down to um, kicking a ball. One of uh, our parents was saying that the, uh, her kid was playing soccer, and they, they noticed he always missed the ball. And that's because he was seeing two balls instead of one. So vision therapy, I mean, vision um, 
it's very serious. And, of course, the only way it can be diagnosed is with the developmental optometrist. And, of course, in in Northern Virginia, there um, there's Robert Jacobs, who is in McLean. And Robert Jacobs is uh, the gentleman that I took my son to. And there's Todd Davis. He's out of Fredericksburg. There's Alan Sykes. He's out of um, Alan Sykes is out of Burke. Um, and then there's a McCant. He's down in Woodbridge. But the most interesting thing, vision being such a serious problem, they're only about 900. Another word for them is COVDs. There are only about 900 of them in the country. And when you talk about a child with a learning disability, that's the first thing you want to check. You want to check the vision. Sometimes kids, you see, um, kids would have to wear prison um, eyeglasses. And uh, I don't know if you'll recall when Hillary Clinton had an accident, she got hit on the head yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, yeah, her her vision was distorted. And, of course, uh, they put her in prison um, eyeglasses. And, of course, you know, um, he plays with the Arizona Cardinals, Larry Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of him? Yeah. Larry Fitzgerald, his grandfather was a COVD, and his grandfather would work on his eyes, you know, to, to correct to correct the vision. So, you know, there are quite a few. And there is in uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, there is a COVD, but he's a neuro-COVD, a neuro uh, optometrist, and of course, um, the same as Bryce Applebaum, he's done workshops for the nonprofit. And in October, October 18th, um, Robert Jacobs will do a workshop for us on vision, and it's called the Brain and Vision Connection. Um, so, vision is. And tell the us where that workshop will be held. That workshop will be held on October the 18th, 2013, and it's at the Mason District Government Center on Columbia Pike. And it's from 7 to 9. Okay. And, you know, and I encourage Make sure in the week of that that you get back to me, too, and we can post that on my okay. Facebook page just in case people okay. miss that and they can put okay. it on their calendar. Yeah. Okay. And um, you know, we want to go ahead and get into now, though, we, we, we want to talk about, because we're, we sort of skirted around the issue, but we want to understand how better understanding disabilities impacts these parents and how they abdicate for, you know, people with learning disabilities. So tell us about that. Okay. First of all, um, we have workshops, and our first every, well, this is our first complete year of workshops, we have professional people come in and explain. The first thing we talk about is what is a learning disability. That's the first thing we talk about because I think it's very important for parents to understand that their kids are not illiterate or or what most people will say they're dummies. because a lot of parents themselves are ashamed that their kids have 
learning disabilities. So well, another thing in the workshop we try and do, not only just explain what is a learning disability, but we help parents to understand that they're not by themselves. There are other parents, and, you know, we tell them to look around in the room, and you'll see there are other parents whose children have the same issue. So it doesn't make sense for you, you know, for the parent to feel bad about it. As a matter of fact, you know, um, Harvard is saying that kids with learning disabilities, it's getting to be the new brain. And so basically it's like, you know, trying to tell parents the good side about learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next thing, so we'll talk about what is a learning disability, and we'll go from what it is and talk about the laws that govern it because it does fall under IDEA 2004, and that's something parents really need to understand, and they need to understand the purpose of it, of the law, and we go over that because that that is just so important, the purpose of the law. And the law always talks about meeting um, those kids' unique needs to prepare them for further education, employment, and independent living. And that is so important that parents understand that. So the school district is supposed to provide the needs of the child, and everyone's needs are not the same. So that's one part of it. And then we go and we talk about the process. The process of getting your child tested, and then from the test, if the child qualifies for the, you know, for special services, then there is this document that's written up. And to me, that's probably the most important piece of this entire special ed, and that's the IEP. And IEP stands for um, Individual Educational Plan. And basically, you take a look at the results of the educational psychological evaluation. You take a look at what the data says about the kid. Then you go over to the IEP, which is a different document, and the IEP, so basically the IEP is like a prescription plan for the child's um, learning differences or learning disabilities. So we go over that and... In June, and that that's like the paper, in June we had a workshop this past June on the IEP. And we asked parents to bring their kids IEPs, and that's Individual Educational Plan. That's the plan that the school district has written up for the child to address the needs, the unique needs of the child. And I'm going to tell you something, Michael, one of the most amazing things, the parents that brought their kids IEPs, the advocate who was, who was Sharon Trough, she was explaining to the parents about the IEP and what they should see in the IEP. Mm. Meaning whether or not and, it was effective, what it will actually mm-hmm. do the child some good. Okay. Yep. And so and to, and to be and you know what? There's a piece, the most important piece that was in that's in an IEP is how would the school district measure the child's progress. Mm. 
Every parent that brought an IEP did not have it. In really? their kids' IEP. Mm-hmm. And you know, I um I encourage parents to 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 get an advocate. And that's that's the second piece that the nonprofit wants to do. We want to be able to help parents pay for advocates because they can be costly. But I say to parents, how can someone provide an advocate for you if you don't know what the advocate's talking about? So we, as a nonprofit, I don't want to send an advocate with you and you know nothing about your kid. Because I think that's a part that parents need to, and we talk about this, they need to know at least 50% of what's being said about their kid. They need to understand it. And Mm -hmm. so that's why we say, you know, you need to come to the workshops so you can understand it. You can understand what these people are saying about your kid. And, and, And I will tell you this, being a parent, in those IEPs, being an educator, as a as a being an educator and a parent in those IEP meetings, a parent cries mm-hmm. because you hear you hear all this negative stuff about your kid, and you're making suggestions. I, I know I was, I was making suggestions to my kid's school district. You know, why don't you do this for him? Let's put this in the IEP. And it's, I'm going to be honest with you, Michael, it's a battle. For if, if, if you're a parent and your kid needs reading, your kid needs reading support, I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about reading strategies. I'm talking about if a child's having problems with decoding. And which means that that child has problems with decoding of words, then that that child there's a possibility that child may not know the sounds of his or her of the alphabet. They may not know the sounds that the families make, you know, like the AT family, the IT family. And and as a parent, you're trying to you're trying to get these services for your kid. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's, I would guarantee you, if you speak to 10 parents out there with a child with a learning difference, they'll talk about their kids' services. But the thing is, with, with better understanding disabilities, as a parent, you've got to know something. And, of course, if I could, I would have an advocate. For, we would be able to have an advocate for every kid. Because when you take a look at special education law, it's a law. It's something that attorneys study, educational attorneys. They study this. So if you're not an attorney, then you don't know the law and you don't understand the law. And that's what's happening with parents. So, you know, there's so much to this this, this whole process of special education and, and, and meeting the needs of these children. and But the IEP 
is the most precious document. And yes, parents do need advocates to go with them and help negotiate for their kids' services. We have helped several parents help their kids. We've helped um we have a couple kids who've gotten private placements, which the parents have been trying to get private placements. And and what that means is when it if a school di- the federal law says that if a school district cannot or does not have the services for that particular child, then the school district must provide that service. They must go outside of their school district to get the service that this kid needs. That's mm-hmm. a federal law. And to be honest with you, a lot of parents don't know that. They don't know that. And um, and then, of course, the school district that my kid was in, I I've never seen I've never seen anything like it before. As an as a, as a human being, as an educator, I've never to me it was like denying. It was like violating the kid's civil rights. Mm. Denying the kid of a free appropriate public education. It was a battle. And I'll be honest with you, I we talked to parents about going to visit their kids' school. Right. Going to visit the class. Because I'm going to be honest, when I finally got them to give up some reading, I had to, we probably, we went to three meetings. And this time we took an advocate. But it took us three meetings, about two hours, to negotiate for reading. And, of course, I I had said to them, I said, look, okay, but I want to see this reading program that you all have that, that, you know, you're going to utilize with him to help him improve. And I'm going to be very honest. I went to that school, and, of course, they, they wouldn't let me go in by myself into into my kids' classroom. They sent the guy they sent the guidance counselor with me. And I was fine with that. And maybe about thirty minutes in the observation, I hear this noise above me. And I asked the guidance counselor, I said, What is that? She said, That's the gym floor. I said, That's the what? She says that's the gym floor. I said, so you, so you mean to tell me that these kids, they already have learning issues, and they're underneath the gym floor? And she said yes. And I went, and I talked to the principal. What do you mean by that? Wait, I'm missing something. What do you mean underneath mm-hmm. the gym floor? I meant, I thought you meant oh. the office was underneath the gym floor. No, the kids' classroom, where the classroom was. Oh, the I see. The kids' classroom was underneath the gym floor. So that means it was in the basement. Yes. Hmm. And and so and so you can imagine this. You got kids with all these learning issues. Mm-hmm. And their teacher is trying to help them, but then they're distracted by all this noise from above. Mm. And and these are the type of things, you know, this is, I can say this is what happened 
to my kid, and I, I, I went to the principal and I said, hey, look, what what is this? You know, these kids already have concerns. They're in the gym floor. That principal said to me, well, I, you know, I'm new here, and I didn't know that. And I said, how can you not know that? You're the principal here. So parents really, you know, they need to go in and, and observe, you know, what's happening with their kid. And it's not that you're trying to be a nuisance, but, you know, you're concerned about your kid. So, you know, so in the workshop, we share stories with parents to help them understand that they're not the only one that's going through that. So we do an IEP workshop. We do brain and vision workshop. We talk about the federal law which governs which supports their kids. Um, you know, we just talk about all the various aspects of it, you know, how to help their kids. We had a workshop on strategies, you know, and helping their kids. One of the easy strategy is with the timer. You know, if the, if the kid has ten problems, so okay, you got ten problems, and say this is a basic addition. Okay, I'm going to give you about twenty minutes to answer the ten problems, and that that helps them. Because, number one, they got that ticking, and that's like a reminder, okay, I need to finish these problems, you know, and I I, I, I need to get as many right as possible. But, kid, I mean, they're just, so we, we try and help the parent as many ways as possible. So, you know, and it's through our workshops, everyone who speaks are professionals. No one is not out of their field talking to a parent. So we'll have attorneys speak, um, advocates, um, neuropsychologists, developmental optometrists, so basically, and then parents. And, you know, it's a, it's a place where parents can also share their frustration about what's not happening with their kid and how can they get, how can they get service. And of course, here in um, in my district, in our school district, there's an attorney. Her name is Tina Hone. She has created Tina for Kids, and what she does, and but it's only for this particular district, only for this county. Mm. She helps. She only for this county. Wow. She helps negotiate IEPs but only for parents in this particular county. Wow. I'm sure so, that's a grand undertaking in itself, but there's such a need and it's, you know, is there anything involved with what you're doing to help, you know, sort of bring this attention to more and more lawyers who are want to be advocates to maybe, you know, sort of sway them in this Direction, maybe some other civil rights attorneys or either that um, human rights attorneys or people who could sort of um, take the same example of, of um, as an attorney like Tina to be able to focus on kids as well. There is a um, there is another attorney who's very um, he's very he's proactive. 
for kids um that he he's a special ed attorney uh his name is William Reichardt. but of course when okay when the state of Virginia had made a decision that they would you know each state has what you call state scores right state test mhm in virginia we're called the virginia sols virginia standards of learning well some of the people in richmond politicians had made a decision that it's okay for african american kids to have lower scores to pass the test, that it was okay, that it was accepted. And, of course, William Reichardt was one of those people that said, no, that's that's not acceptable. They, if these kids are being taught the same standards, they should be expected to reach the same the same height as everybody else. So basically what he was saying is, let, let's not dummy down. Now, he will do, Reichardt will do, um, Speaking engagement, so he'll 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 come out and educate parents. But as far as um, what Tino Hone does, I'm not sure if he'd do that. Mm. But mm. but you know you you just you just never know. Um, and is there a, a a forum to get attorneys to do this? I'm not sure. But you know, we I talk to them every chance I get about this. Uh there's an attorney in the state of Virginia. His name is uh Pete Wright. And Pete Wright is the first attorney to ever win a court case in front of the Supreme Court for a child with a learning disability. Mm-hmm. And so what Pete Wright does, it it's Michael, I gotta tell you something. These kids are the most underserved children. They are. Mm -hmm. Okay? The government puts rules and regulations in place. But the question is, does the school district abide by the rules and regulations? Right. And so... That's why it's and so are the parents aware of their own rights and what they can do in situations are, like can, that? Can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. They 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 receive a book once that first IEP has been written. They receive a book of the regulations. Mm. Okay, of the fit. But again, we talk about this is a law. This is language of an attorney. All right. And some of them don't. Now, if if say 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 you say if you were a parent and you weren't happy, you weren't you weren't happy. You know, you didn't see your child making progress underneath the IEP that the school district has written. And you keep going back to the back and forth to the school district and say, you know, this isn't working for my kids. You're not doing the right thing. Well, you can do. You can go to. Um, it's in Richmond. You can file a due process hearing. And basically what that due process hearing says, you know, as a parent, 
I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied, okay, with what the school is providing for my kid. And, of course, then the school district says, okay, we're doing what we can do for the kid. We're doing the right thing for the kid. Well, then now it becomes a court case. And, hmm. and a judge or um, a person of the court, a clerk of the court or a representative will hear the case and make the decision if the school district is doing the best that they can do. So it's a it's basically it's law. It's educational law. And no parents don't understand educational law. A lot of them don't. And of course those who do and get services for their kids these people are middle income and upper income people. So therefore your children who do not receive okay your children who are at the poverty level they won't get the services mm-hmm. that they need. And you know when you when you talk about statistics of, of these kids, you know I think that's the part that really made me really pay attention to this. Like it's like I had to do something about it. I it it, it just it when I, when I saw my own kid, and I saw what my own kid could learn, and I said, hey, wait a minute, these kids can learn. And then I went and I took a look at the the failure statistics, and it made me cry mm-hmm. because I said this this is a shame. You know, thirty five percent of students identified with learning disabilities drop out of high school. Mm. Okay, fifty percent of juvenile delinquents tested had learning disabilities. Fifty percent. Sixty percent of children, adolescents, in treatment centers for substance abuse, learning disabilities. Sixty-two hmm. percent of learning disabled students were unemployed one year after graduation. Fifty percent of females with learning disabilities will be mothers. Many of them will be single within three to five years of leaving their high school. And of course, thirty-one percent of adolescents with learning disabilities would be arrested three to five years out of high school. And so when you so when you take a look at when you take a look at the statistics and then you say, okay, but these kids have average to above average intelligence. Mm-hmm. So why does the t- statistics look the way they look? Wow. You know, Annette, we are going to have to revisit this and We'll have to do another show. And, and some of the folks that you've mentioned, I want you to reach out to them and um, okay. see if we can get them on board for the next show as well. And okay. what we'll do is we'll we'll promote the next show, and uh, we'll allow some parents also to call in with questions after, you know, maybe the half hour or 40-minute period in the show and um, get some of these experts to really help them out and, um, you know, understand what the resources are out there and everyone can give their website as well and give your website because we, we're right under um, just about four and a half minutes left in the show okay we're at www.better b-e-t-t-e-r-u-d dot wordpress 
com. Okay, very good. And um, Annette, I just want to thank you for you know your drive, your passion, um, all that you do with helping families. And um, f- when you help someone with a learning disability, you really help everyone. You know, and, and I think you helped us to see that today. And um, it, it's real important. Those, those statistics um, really rang the bell and helped us to understand that we are we're missing out. We're we're not doing what we should be doing, and the focus is not on a clear chance for us to do better. So, I just want to thank you for you know coming on board today, and um, we look forward to hearing more from you in the future, and. We look forward to doing whatever we can to help support your cause as well. So, you know, we'll be in contact. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for having me on the show. And one last thing. When you fail one child with a when one child with a learning disability is failed, that means generations of that child family will fail. All right, thank you. Thank you. If I may paraphrase Stephen King. The most important things are the hardest things to say. These are the things you feel ashamed of because mere words only diminish the thought. You see, words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in our hearts and minds to no more than just living size when brought out into the open. Oh, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, the most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried. Like landmarks to a treasurer, your enemies would love to steal away and use against you at the worst possible moment. But still, you make revelations that cost you dearly, only to have people look at you like you're crazy, not understanding what you've said at all or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried when you were saying it. Do you know what's even worse than that? is when the secret stays locked within and you can't get it out. Not for want of the courage to talk about it, but for want of someone who will just listen. Just listen. As someone who spends a great deal of time searching for the truth, the lesson that I've learned from this quote is, if you want the truth, You have to be prepared to release all judgment and be open enough to hear and accept the truth in whatever form it might take. Judgment alters the truth by changing how it's told or presented. Not accepting the truth stops the bearer from sharing the truth. Ignoring the truth kills ambition and is a recipe for disaster and makes success impossible. We all over the years have learned to guard ourselves against deception, but I've also come to realize that in most cases, you don't even have to discover or discern the truth. You just have to let it be and see it for what it is. Maybe you have a story too. It doesn't have to be just like the one we've heard. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm here. And I'm willing to listen. All I ask from you is a measure of truth. 
Well, we've just come to the end of another great show. Special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And in case you didn't know, we're running on solar power. Before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.